Psalm 126. This has been knocking around my mind since it last showed up in my reading plan late last year. It's one of the, the Psalms of Ascent. There's 15 of them that all come there together, quite short little Psalms. Let me read it for you. Um, and then we will get tore in. I forgot to say as well, we're having lunch today together. And if you hadn't planned to stay, you're more than welcome to stay. There's always a wee bit extra uh, purchased. Anyway, verse one. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. That was a phrase that, that caught me when I read this probably back in November, December. We were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev is the southern region, which was desert land. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Do you ever have remember when conversations? Uh, We're at a family get together or just over the dinner table or wherever. there's, There's recollections of memories that are precious. Times in the past, funny stories, whatever it may be. Things that you go back to over and over again. Even though you know everybody around the table remembers it because you talked about it a few months ago, it still comes up and you ah, you remember when that happened? And it's particularly humorous actually with my father-in-law. Uh, who has a lifetime of raising Jack Russells. And if you just sort of poke the right buttons in conversation and get the Jack Russell stories to come out, all of the remember when phrases come out over and over again. His favorite one is, remember when Jody did a scent mark on your lap uh, to me um, when I actually had to drive home with the car window down and considered just removing my jeans and chucking them out the window because it was unreal. Uh, my favorite one is when the same Jody found, you know, the way dogs, <clears throat> I don't know if it's just a Jack Russell, I'm getting off track here. I, I don't know if it's just a Jack Russell thing, but they tend to be able to find the most stinking mess. And when they find it, they're like, I'm going to flip onto my back and roll around in this. Yeah. And uh, this, this famous Jack Russell, one of the remember when stories is when she was going for a walk along the towpath, found a dead fish. <laughs> and flipped over and started rolling around on top of this dead fish. Remember when? Table as a church has got remember when moments. Remember when times, times of worship, particular songs that just became anthems. I said to Sarah last week, she was picking songs, and I said, don't, don't worry about doing the same song again, because sometimes the church just latches on to an anthem for a few months, and it becomes our song and it's not just it's not just repetition because it's an easy choice it's there's something going on when we sing it and I can remember particularly great are you lord singing that up the street um in in the 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 building in the alleyway that we met in in late 2015 and just that (coughs) sense of 
pumping the air in defiance that we were making a declaration to the darkness and the hopelessness that God is great. (laughs) And I can remember when Raise a Hallelujah became a similar anthem in dark times. There are remember when times of ministry, times when young people packed in here on a Friday night, times when young men sat around a fire pit with Bibles open, times when nine married couples came in here and went through the Alpha Marriage course, time when we had a room full of participants in freedom in Christ, times when the carol service was packed, and then a baptismal service when the place was overflowing. Like a place that comfortably seats about maybe 40, 45, and there were 75, and it was wonderful. Remember when. These things that, that we look back on, there's, there's remember when times of prophetic input when somebody comes and shares something with the church or somebody from within the church shares something and it sticks with you. And you're like, do you remember when she came and said that? Remember when he said that? Remember when? And this Psalm, Psalm 126, starts off with, with a sort of remember then moment or remember when moment. One of those 15 songs, it's, it's track number seven in the list of 15 And it was the road songs of the pilgrims as they traveled up to Jerusalem for the feasts several times a year. And they have become road songs for many of us just on the journey through life as we go towards the city of God. And I just want to mosey through the psalm this morning. It's quite short and hopefully something along the way will will resonate with you. Verse 1, the the psalmist is speaking to the community about the past. Do you remember when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion? And what was that like? We were like those who dreamed. Do you remember those times when God was moving and things were happening and dreaming came easy? (laughs) Dreaming came easy. You felt your heart sore. You felt that with the help of God, anything could be achieved. You were dreaming. We were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy, just overflowing, exuberant. You could see it on our faces and people did see it on our faces and they said, the Lord has done great things for them. We're not exactly sure what time in history the psalmist is referring to but it is likely the return from exile the 70 year <clears throat> captivity in babylon in fact some versions of the of the psalm actually say that where the niv there says when the lord restored the fortunes of zion some other versions are more specific when the lord brought back the captivity of zion so it can be tied into a moment in history, potentially, when a pagan king called Cyrus was moved by the Holy Spirit to send God's people back from Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple and their walls and their lives. And I wonder, have you ever experienced a, a restoration of your fortunes? Have you ever experienced God moving in a sudden breakthrough way that just seemed too good to be true, too marvelous, like a dream. It it was just class. (laughs) 
And that's what they're looking back to. And what should our response be when such things occur? We should memorialize them. We should remember them. We should do what, the, what they did in 1 Samuel, I think chapter 7, where they built a monument and they called it Ebenezer. And they said, up to this point, God has helped us. In other words, he has helped us this far. He's not going to leave us now. Today, one of the things we will do as the church is eat a meal together. Why? It's not just a nice churchy thing to do. It's not just to save the, the hassle of cooking a Sunday dinner. It's because we follow one who said, do this in remembrance of me. Eat together in remembrance of me. We remember the great things that God has done. And in these verses, the Lord is the main character. It doesn't just say when we were restored. It says when the Lord restored. They're focusing on what he has done. And the language is corporate. This is a people who are singing together, laughing together, and remembering together as they journey along the road. It's visible. And they're dreaming Dreaming can be those weird things that go on at night in your subconscious as you're still processing all the stuff that happened during the day. Dream can refer to illusions and things that are not really there. Or dreaming can refer to believing God for great things. Stretching out and, and, and clinging on to him that he can do great things. That's the sort of dreaming I think we're talking about. And the first three verses of the, of the psalm could be applied to any great beginning, any great deliverance, any great moment. All of you that have walked with God for any length of time, there will be moments different for all of us that we look back on. And, and they, they're these sort of moments where God moved in such a way that dreaming came easy. It could, could have been, in this case, it was the return of the exiles. It could be the return of the prodigal. It could be the salvation of an individual. It could be the planting of a church or the pioneering of a ministry. Lots of things that cause people to look back and celebrate and remember. But the second half of the psalm swings big time. And the tone is quite different. It's no longer the initial rush of salvation or of a new thing or of a great moment that we celebrate. It's now the ebb and flow of life on pilgrimage. The ups and downs of the journey, not the, the victorious journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem, but that daily, that pilgrimage of God's people which is a picture of life as we follow Jesus. It's where the rubber hits the road in your Christian life. And the, the great dreamy moments seem to be in the distance a wee bit as you just go through the bumps of normal life. Derek Kidner splits the psalm and he says, I could really do a drink. I could drink. <laughs> Thank you. Um, please. Derek Kidner says <clears throat> that delirious happiness and relief is the mood of the first half of the psalm. But now when we get into the second half, it's only a memory. And the psalm turns into a prayer for a comparable transformation of a barren and cheerless scene. We have gone from singing, from joy, from dreaming, 
to a barren picture in the desert. Thank you kindly. That's awesome. <coughs> Excuse me. I sang too loud. have to stop doing that but the psalm splits into the, the first half which is which is praise for help received in the past and the second help or the second half which is a plea for help in the future and the people are probably thinking as the tone shifts from the joyous first half to the more difficult second half will we ever laugh like that again Will we ever sing like that again? Will we ever be spoken of the way people spoke of us in verse 2? Will we ever dream again? Or will the, the knocks and the bangs of this dangerous pilgrimage cause us to go a bit quiet? It's verse 4 that throws us a little bit. If you're reading the psalm carefully, uh, it's not that far away from verse 1 for you to stop and think, hang on here. Uh, verse 1 said that the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Why in verse 4 is the psalmist then asking for our fortunes to be restored? Has it not already happened? Or in some versions, bring back the captives. Verse 1 says, when the Lord brought back the captives. And then verse 4 is a prayer to bring back the captives. What's going on? I thought it had already happened. Why, why do we need to pray that again? And maybe along the journey, some of them have slipped. That tends to happen. Along the journey of life, we slip, we trip. And along this path that these guys would have been traveling to Jerusalem, there were so many opportunities to trip or to slip. Loose stones and rocks on the road, steep declines, People hiding in caves at the side of the road ready to attack travelers. There's lots of things that happen on our pilgrimage that can cause us to slip backwards. Heartache, disappointment, bereavement, tragedy, financial strain, relationship breakdown, betrayal, unemployment. The list goes on and on and on and the laughter ceases. And the songs of joy go on to a bit of a slow fade. And the dreaming stops. Because the journey's hard and fraught with danger. Have you ever slipped or tripped or been attacked by some gangster hiding in a cave at the side of the road? Something just comes at you that you weren't even anticipating. Has the joy and laughter faded because the journey has been tough? Have you stopped dreaming that God can act in great power again like he has done in the past? Are you just plain tired with always being on the alert? Who's in that cave? Who's in that cave? Is that rock going to move? Where is everybody? Just the weariness of every step being alert for danger. And the beautiful thing about the pathway that those pilgrims traveled on and the pathway that we travel on is that we are on it together. You don't have the picture here and these psalms are not tunes for an individual walking on their own in the dark to whistle to try to build a bit of confidence. You ever a bit, you know, when you're a kid and you're a bit scared of the dark or something and you maybe hum a wee tune or whatever just to sort of... You know, brace yourself and, and get on with it. These, these are not songs for individuals to sing. These are not to be 
hummed on your own while you're terrified of what might happen to you. These are songs to be sung together. And one of the things, and I, and I shared this with, with someone yesterday, one of the things that I think was one of the most important moments in my early walk with God was coming to the realization of the utter necessity of the church. Probably a few arrogant early years in my early 20s when arrogance just tends to blossom of thinking, well, I've got my Bible and I've got my prayer life and I don't need anybody else. (laughs) And then coming to the realization, thankfully, reasonably early in the journey, the church is non-negotiable. It's just non-negotiable. It is utterly necessary. You will not survive the journey. This this 15-song journey from you know, up to Jerusalem to the feast, fraught with danger. You will not survive it without the church. That's the way Jesus has designed it. That's the way he's put it in place. It's the church that he purchased with his own blood. And we, that's something you need to get absolutely straight on the journey of life. Isolation is, is just a form of, of spiritual self-harm. To withdraw from the community of faith and try to do that journey on your own. And the psalmist in verse 4 uses a picture that they would be familiar with. This, this idea of the Negev, with this desert area in the south, which would be dry for most of the year. But every now and again there would come a sudden rain. And because the ground was so dry and the rain was so heavy, the, the, the streams would start to flow along the ground just like that, and it would change everything. And the psalmist writes that, that he wants that to happen. He's looked back to a great moment of deliverance. There's a realization now we have slipped, we're in danger. Whatever circumstances in life have beat us down a wee bit, we've lost the joy, the laughter, the dreaming, whatever it is. And he's crying out to God and he is encouraging the people to, to cry out to God, restore our fortunes. To put that in sort of prayer room language, do it again. <laughs> do it again. The great prayer that should flow out of us over and over again. God, do it again. What you've done in the past, do it again. Not just what you did in the pages of Scripture, but what you did in great revivals, what you did through people like Wesley and Whitfield and Wilberforce. It seems that if your surname begins with W, you're particularly you know, high potential for serving God. But, but do these things again, Lord. Do them in our time. Do them in our day that we may witness them, that we may see them. That yearning, instead of just saying, well, that happened in the past and it's never going to happen again. No, there's that cry to God, do it again, Lord. Do it again. It's not wrong to pine for those great moments that we have with God. I remember a conversation with a guy called Wesley White in Chester about six or seven years ago on the Forge course. And uh, for, for those of you that know Eugene Smith, Wesley is just like another version of Eugene. It's just the same, same sort of character, just steeped in, in the word and, and wisdom. And I remember sitting with him saying, Wesley, these moments when you hear God, these moments when, 
when the light goes on and everything becomes clear and the door opens and you run through it and you know you're doing God's will and it's, it's thrilling to your heart. Do those moments fade as you get older? As you walk with God for a bit longer, do you lose it? Is it something that only happens in the early years of faith or in the early years of ministry? And as you mature, you don't have those powerful moments anymore. And he, he basically rebuked me. And he said, don't you ever believe that? Don't you ever believe that? You seek God for those moments. That's not something that just belongs in the past. One person I was reading this week, and I can't remember exactly who it was, but he wrote, it's wonderful to remember what God has done in the past, but beware the temptation to assume that God's blessings are only past tense. That somehow you move to a point in your walk with God when those moments are all just in the past. That those are somehow things for an immature faith. Beware the temptation to assume that God's blessings are only past tense. When we find ourselves in a desert, spiritually parched, relationally fatigued, emotionally barren, it is precisely then when we need to pray, asking God for more, asking God to do it again, <laughs> to do it again. And I hope, if you've been around here for a while, I hope you're thinking of times, just high moments in the journey, when you came in and the presence of God just seemed to be more apparent, more manifest. The, the worship, it's not just that it was louder or something like that. There was something about it that you can't put your finger on. Do it again. <laughs> Do it again, Lord. You restored us in the past. We look back joyfully. Do it again. Do it again for those who have slipped. Do it again for those who have been attacked along the road and are feeling discouraged. And now it would seem at the end of the psalm that God maybe is speaking to the people through the psalmist. The psalmist has pointed them to the past and the great things that God did. And he has instructed them in the present to pray, do it again. Do what you've done before. And now God's speaking through him. And I can imagine God saying, do you want that joy to come back? Do you want rivers flowing in the desert? Do you want people to look at your life, your church, your ministry and say, that has to be God? And over and over again, you're just like, yes, 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 waiting for the command. What do we do? What do we do, Lord? What do we do so that all of that first half of the Psalm stuff can become a reality again rather than a memory? And the command is, so tears sow tears. Literally in verse 5, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. If you get yourself onto the Blue Letter Bible website and you go to the wee Hebrew thing, you will see there's only four words and the four words are sow tears, reap joy. That's it. To those who have looked back at the past and are longing to see a move of God again, who are longing to see rivers flow in the desert, God says, sow tears, reap joy. How can something as horrible as tears reap joy? Well, if you've ever sown anything, you will know that seeds are not very attractive. Now, you'll get the odd seed that's got like wee frilly bits on it to stick to a rabbit 
or to blow on the wind or whatever. You get some seeds that might look, you know, reasonably pretty in relative terms, but so, most seeds, they just look like dirt. <laughs> just look like a little speck of dirt. They're brown usually and they're a bit dry and crusty looking and they don't look like much. But yet from them, think about sweet pea would be one of my favourites. From that little brown <laughs> seed comes such abundant beauty, both in, in the, the appearance and in the scent, the colour, the brightness from something that's so ugly. How can a seed that looks like a speck of dirt produce all that beauty? And yet it does. How can your tears, if you sow them, produce joy? And yet they do. Eugene Peterson writes in his, in his book on these Psalms, along obedience in the same direction, he says, All suffering, all pain, all emptiness, all disappointment is seed. Change the way that you view these heartaches and difficulties and challenges in life. God looks at them as seeds. Those ugly, hot tears that stream down your face that you just want to get rid of, God says it's a seed. All suffering, all pain, all emptiness, all disappointment is seed. And seeds are precious. They're maybe not as precious to us as they would have been in generations past because you can go to Dobby's in January and buy tons of them half price. But seeds are a precious thing. And I, I, I want to co compare our tears, this, this idea of sowing tears, our tears to seeds. God says, and, and elsewhere in the Psalms, you put my tears into your bottle. There was a beautiful thing in the prayer room last time the bottle on the cross and then a little little jar of, of water to symbolically just drip some water into the bottle a sense of tears being put into the bottle because god values them god values them i can remember one one year you know my sweet peas had all faded and gone and there was just a big heap of sort of yellowy brown straggly stalks all over the place and I was grabbing them and lifting them up in an armful to go down to the compost heap and dump them all. And, I, and as I lifted them, I noticed the little seed pods that we dry, just look like, obviously, little pea pods. Um, and they're all yellowy brown and don't look like much. And I split a few of them open and, and gathered the seeds. God gathers your tears. They might flow down your face, they might drop onto your shirt, and they might be forgotten about, but not for him. Not for him. He, he puts his tears, your tears, in a bottle. Some other translations and, and the, the next phrase of that psalm talks about them being written in a book. Okay, if we were to do that, an up-to-date version, they're, they're in a spreadsheet. He's logged them. They're in a ledger. He's recorded every one of them that no one else has seen. They're precious. And he says that we are to sow those tears. We're not to just discard them. We're to bring them to him. Along that pilgrimage road, there will be tears and there will be moments of heartache and suffering and difficulty. But God promises that if we 
if we value those tears and we reinvest them, that we sow them into him by continuing to be faithful, by continuing to do what he's called us to do, by continuing to worship when it's the last thing that we actually naturally want to do, when we sow our tears, he promises there will be a harvest of joy. Because the people have They've looked back in the first half of the psalm. Keep repeating it, but they've looked back to the great moment of joy and then do it again. He's like, right, here's how it will happen again. It'll happen by you sowing your tears. You will reap joy. I um, really enjoyed the first session this week of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, Any feedback I got from the other groups that they they really got a lot out of it as well. it was soul-searching. There was nowhere to hide <laughs> in, in a good way. That's why the groups are small. Um, but he, Pete Scazzaro, sorry, Pete Scazzaro listed um, 10 signs of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Uh, and we went through them and you had to, you had to narrow it down to one, <laughs> which was pretty hard uh, because... I think a few of us ticked several boxes and found it hard to narrow it down to one. So most of us went for two or three. Uh, but one, one that, I, that I went for as, as one of his <coughs> 10 signs of emotionally unhealthy spirituality was number two, ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness and fear. A sense where these things are negative and I shouldn't experience them. And especially if I am a pastor, I shouldn't have anger that's wrong and I just I processed that this week and read it in the book and and I agree with him fully that to ignore those things is very dangerous you don't feed on them you don't you don't allow them to thrive but if those emotions are rising you stop and you ask why and you deal with it you don't hide it and it's the same with your tears it's the same with your sorrows it's the same with your heartaches sometimes we have a tendency to hide those things to push them down. And God says, no, sow them. Sow them. I, I treat them as precious. I gather them in the, my bottle. I write them in my book. I want you to have the same attitude towards them. I want you to sow them. Bring them back to me and sow them and let there be a harvest of joy. Don't pretend they're not there. Don't pretend they don't fall. Don't put on a brave face. Our tendency is to bury those things. And I want you to know that there's a huge difference between burying something and sowing something. You may sound the same. Well, they both go under the ground. And Christian burial, as we bury a child of God, there's an element of sowing there as we await a resurrection. But for most people, to bury something means dig a hole, throw it in, cover it over, forget about it. Don't let anyone see it. Don't tell anyone it's there. Never dig it up. Never want to see it again. And that's the way we sometimes are with these negative emotions or with our tears and disappointments and heartaches. We bury them. And God would say, don't bury them. Sow them. Sow them. Don't put them six feet under. Put them an inch under the soil so that they can germinate, grow, and bring forth beauty and joy. They are to be sown. And these people had maybe at this time of the year when they're traveling, they'd maybe seen the joy of the harvest. They had feasted on all the goods of the harvest. They'd stored up food and eaten it all winter long, but now the storehouse is dwindling. 
And now the, they look outside and I don't know about any other hobby gardeners who look, look outside and, and wonder, is it ever going to dry up? Is it ever going to warm up? Are we ever going to have conditions for sowing seed? And even when you sow the seed, you're sometimes thinking, oh, it's really cold. It's April and it's still really cold and the ground still feels really clumpy and, and wet. But you still sow. Sowing's an act of faith. And for these people, they weren't in the, the heavy, wet, cold clay of Scarva. They were in the Negev. They were in the desert. And they had to sow and believe that water would come and that seeds would germinate and that a crop would grow. So when you're in a desert, thirsty, parched, do you have the faith to keep sowing? And the water, the, the, the water that they wanted back in... Back in verse 4, they wanted a river. They needed water because if you want something to grow, you need water. And God says there will be water, but the water will not be a sudden river. The water will be the slow drip of tears. They'll not only be the seed, but they'll water the seed. There will be irrigation in this dry desert if you invest your tears instead of hiding them. So what, what will you do with your tears? What will you do with your sorrows? Don't hide them. Don't bury them. Bring them to God in private devotion. Bring them to church and share them with God's people in intimate fellowship. That's what can happen in these little groups. We sow our tears instead of just silently in isolation, letting them drip on the floor and be forgotten about Bring them to the king in praise. Even now as we worship, let it be a time of sowing. I don't mean everybody should be blurting by the end of it, but I mean let it be a time of just bringing the pain to God and saying, I'm not going to hide this and I'm not going to wish it had never happened. I'm not just going to let it drip on the floor and dry up. I'm bringing it to you and I'm investing it by faithfully declaring your praise even when I don't feel like it. Amen. That's Psalm 126 or some thoughts on it.